Hello and welcome to the Sports Go podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me, as always, is the King of Lawn. How are you today, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, I think if a few people down this way heard that title, there'd be an uproar. Uh, I'm definitely oh. not a local yet, but um, I'm enjoying my time down here, that's for sure. <laughs> would, have, would have a strong listener base down in Lawn, I would have thought, whilst you're down there. Really pushing, uh, pushing the pod far and wide. So that's it. I'm sure, they yeah. won't mind too much. Small, small town community. We get around each other down here. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Um, first of all, before I commence the pod, am I right in saying Deakin alumni has won a gold medal at the Olympics? That would uh, be I believe correct. you've got all the details hot off the press. Lucy Stephen, gold medalist in the women's four rowing today. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, for me, that just shows Deakin, you know, being the quality university that it is. It's like it's no longer progressive real-world learning. It's progressive real-world medal earning. So, I don't know. I, I, I think our friends may have to change their tagline um, but that is absolutely awesome. It just shows, you know, we've got Ruben Williams doing one of the great podcasts. We've got Lucy Stevens winning, uh, winning gold in Tokyo. So it's all, it's all happening. But rest assured, uh, at Deakin University, every single course is backed by industry experts. I know that and you know that, Rubes. Uh, <laughs> so you can be confident that you'll get the job you want with a degree that employers want. So Deakin University... Progressive real world learning. Learning or, or metal earning? Metal earning or learning, however you want to play it, my well, friend. We know we know the marketing team well, so we can get in touch and make a suggestion. We do. We do. Um, cool. So before we start, connect with us on LinkedIn if there's anything you'd love to to learn about or chat about, if any podcast episodes that you'd love to chat about further, we'd love to hear from you. Um, even if there's a suggestion of uh, perhaps someone who you'd like us to speak to or a topic you want us to cover, connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, you can find us on there. Our guest today, Rubes, Daniel Simmons from Golf Australia. Absolutely awesome discussion. Um, what were some some things you took away from, from what the... Uh, what we chatted about, it was absolutely awesome to chat to a HR professional as well, very relevant in today's world. So, anything particular? Uh, he was fantastic to, to chat with. Daniel Simons, I might just uh, correct you. I'm sure he'll appreciate that because he, as he talks to us about, he receives a lot of incorrect use of his term, which comes was, was a problem of mm. having two first names. So, it's not your fault. It's, so, now, it's now I've got egg on my face. Um <laughs> I'm sure he'll listen back and it actually probably ties into the episode. We did chat a little bit about the name. Yep. So, maybe I'm just one, I'm a careless grad. That's essentially where I'm at at the moment, Rubes. I'm not getting the name right, um, but that's okay. But, well, the best thing about chatting with Daniel is this is the most in-depth we've ever gone on one specific part of a job application and that is the first step in submitting your job application, going through the resume parts uh, and the cover letter parts. So, to hear his take on how to stand out in an ultra, ultra competitive industry was incredibly 
awesome to hear about. And we find out just how competitive it is. It is like mm-hmm. it is mind boggling when yeah. you hear the numbers from Daniel. <laughs> yes, I agree. One thing I found was just the brutality of how quickly HR professionals sieve through resumes. I uh, didn't quite understand it was that brutal. Yeah. A matter of seconds. Matter, matter of, of seconds, seconds that we won't reveal the exact timing. We didn't get the counter out, but uh, it's certainly <laughs> quick. Uh, so, that mm. was amazing to think about. Like when you put in a resume, you've obviously put time into that. You're hoping that they read the full thing, but I can guarantee you right now they're not spending minutes and minutes and minutes reading your resume. So, that was really interesting to hear from him. Mm. Definitely. And then the other one, when when we got into the real nitty gritty of what are students, graduates, applicants doing wrong, Daniel came out with two really key pitfalls that a lot of people fall into the trap of doing in their application. So, dissecting them and finding ways to resurrect that so people can stand out and, and get past the, uh, the seconds that Daniel will sometimes spend on some applications and make sure yours gets to the minutes category um, was excellent to learn about. Awesome. Well, grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Daniel Simons, not Simmons. Dan, welcome to the Sports Guide podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Lucky to be here and I'm very excited to get started into this. Well, you, you are in ISO at the moment, so... I mean, you did just say you've got six hours, so I'm hoping that we can take you for six hours for this episode. Is that <laughs> is that okay with you? Yeah. yeah, if you could just wrap up by 11.59, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that can be arranged. Not a, not a problem. I'm sure there's plenty we can learn from you as well. But Dan, to kick us off, do you want to give us a bit of a background uh, into your job at Golf Australia at the moment, what you do there, and then some of your background leading into the role that you now have with golf? Yeah, um, thanks, Ruben. Um, so, I am the People and Culture Manager at Golf Australia. So, I look after the end-to-end people process. So, everything from recruitment all the way to employee management, engagement, um, transition at the moment, uh, change management, everything in between, uh, remuneration, salaries, payroll. So, a bit of an all-rounder. But my journey to the sports industry took a solid eight years. And um <laughs> I, I always wanted to join the sports industry, but it took that what, that long time. And, and the reason for that was um, it's, it's a hard industry to get into. So I began my career um, working as a HR coordinator with Sunglass Hut, an OPSM group up in Sydney. Um, at the time, I was working at Sunglass Hut as a casual store manager and then um, made the jump after I finished uni into the HR world. Um, was lucky enough to work there for three years and got my hands involved with a number of sports um, sponsorship programs. OPSM used to sponsor the cricket um, and footy as well. And they, we used to sponsor the AFL umpires, which I worked on, which was great. One of the great campaigns, the, yeah. the glasses, glasses I, company sponsoring the umpires. I remember when that came out, it was just a perfect synergy between <laughs> umpires and sunglasses. 100%. And the memes around um, should have gone to Specsavers were, were always there. <laughs> yeah. so it was, um, very, very fun times. But it was, a, it was a great, great partnership. So I worked there for a couple of years and then made the jump to PwC. I wanted to join a larger organization. Um, and PwC is a global organization with about 2,000 people based in Australia. So I wanted to learn what best practice HR looks like and was there for a number of years doing various HR and consulting roles. And after, so after about six years experience working across um, OPSM and PwC, I got a, I was lucky enough to be a bit picky um, and wanted to move into some, a field I'm more passionate about. And whilst I wanted to get into the sports industry, 
there wasn't an opportunity right there. So I moved into the art center, um, art center Melbourne, where I got to work through the customer experience side. And being a sports mad person, going in the art scene is very different, but it was one of the most enjoyable things I ever did. Um, was there for a year and a bit and then was lucky enough to be brought over to Golf Australia, which is where I am right now. Beautiful. Well, you're, like, you're in that perfect role that everyone wants to understand what you're thinking because you, you, you control the jobs. Like you're getting all the applications come through you. Like how, how many resumes a year do you reckon you would have a look at? Yeah, spot on. I have all the power um, <laughs> and I never forget it sometimes. But uh, yeah. Tell us how to get the jobs. <laughs> here's, here's, here's the one. Um, it, last year, obviously, there weren't many jobs going around. There was more redundancies than jobs. So, I didn't really review mm-hmm. a lot of resumes. But in normal times, uh, and we're actually going through a period of growth at the moment, um, I, I would say around between 100 to 600 resumes, um, depending on the role, manager mm-hmm. roles. They're quite niche, so you don't get as many applications, probably about 100 or so. But mm. for your general entry-level ones, your grad positions, officer-level coordinator roles, um, you're looking at anywhere between 300 and above. And that's without really target recruitment. We just The sports industry has so many fans wanting jobs, so yeah. 300 per job. Depends on the role. Yeah, we recently had a marketing hire, a marketing coordinator one, and that received just over 300. Um, My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, there's a lot, of, a lot of people wanting jobs. <laughs> Jeez. I wonder what the, the time per resume would be. Yeah, you don't get a lot of time. Um, so, there's, there's a, there's a five-second window which you've got to impress me on your resume, really. So, yeah, it's, a, it's not a lot of time, but... Yeah, we're, we're fortunate. Everyone loves sports in Australia, so um, we're lucky to get that many applications. And, and I do appreciate the time people put into it. Well, that um, that leads me into the next question. And can you give us a bit of an insight into how you review an application? Like you just mentioned, you know, how many come through per job, 300. Wow. Uh, for a manager, probably less so. Um, I can imagine there'd be a specific amount of time that you spend reading each one, what are some of those things that perhaps, you know, make you cast it aside really quickly? Yeah, so as soon as I look at a resume, I'm looking at the formatting. That's first and foremost. Um, if the formatting's shoddy, um, then what chance do I have of employing you to do a really good job in, in our in our organization? All right? If you can't take the time to do a really good resume that's clear, concise, um, explains really well what you're doing, then how can I expect you to communicate in an organization? So um, the first thing that stands out to me is that format. And by formatting, I mean not just a visual presentation, but get my name right. The amount of times people call me Dear Simon instead of Dear Daniel um, <laughs> um, is important. So, you know, that formatting I look for straight away. Um, and then I go straight to experience. So, in the experience section, I'll look at, okay, cool. Do they actually have – do they have an experience in doing the role? And what does that experience look like? So, if I'm looking for a marketing coordinator, it's all well and good having marketing coordinator experience, but then what is the actual experience that they write about that they had in that previous role? Um, so, those are the probably the three things. You know, firstly, look at the formatting, make sure grammatically it's all correct, and then obviously their experience and what that experience entails. That's, that's pretty brutal in terms of when you think about how long it takes someone to put together a job application, <laughs> they might spend an hour to two hours putting together a job application. And if, if they get it wrong, you know, they get it wrong within the space of five seconds. So, what you're doing in those one to two hours with your application has to be extremely precise. Otherwise, you know, you're just not going to make the cut. Yeah, it's brutal because we're lucky. We're fortunate mm. enough and blessed because everyone loves sports in Australia. So, 
we can be brutal like that. Um, but it also makes um, volunteer experience and networking important because, you know, that's the piece where we can we can get to know you more so than me making a five-second call on your resume. Um, mm. So it kind of highlights that importance as well, not just always sending resumes. That's a great point. Like, would you look out for someone in a pile of resumes if you had met them previously and they had messaged you to say, hey, I've just applied for this role? Absolutely. Um, shows me that they're keen, interested. If they've done volunteer experience at one of our events before, I know, I, I literally know I can trust them and, and I can have a conversation with them. So I could put them forward or I could just as easily reject them if they didn't leave a good impression. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it is, it is pretty brutal. Mm. Daniel, I just want to bring people up to speed to kind of how we got in contact. You were, you were kind enough to message me about some of the applications that were coming into Golf Australia from our sports grad members. And you mentioned to me that the quality of these applications was significantly higher than the applications you'd received from graduates in the past. Um, I'm wondering what was it about these applications from our members that stood out to you? Yeah, firstly, um, awesome job. It's great receiving applications that are targeted and specific. Um, and I guess that's what stood out to me. You know, they they were able to clearly articulate or to some extent, um, how their skills and experience relate to the role. And, and that's something that often gets lost. A lot of times people focus in on the sport, my passion for the sport, you know, I'm passionate about golf. That's all well and good, but we're not employing you to play golf. Um, we're, we're employing you to to do whatever role it is that we're, we're employing you. And you'll be able to play that, golf. That would be nice. It yeah. would be nice to be paid to play golf. <laughs> it would be, but, but that's, why we fall, that's why I find myself working administration because I wasn't good enough to play sport. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, what's the next best thing? Working in the sport, right? Um, so, yeah, we kind of look at, you know, that kind of target specific, okay, I, I relate to the role through this experience um, was pleasing to see from your members and so obviously whatever you're talking about with them and and going through the steps is, is working because that was clearly articulated and in a number of um, applications that had sports grad in them so um, well done guys awesome um we we've had this question a few times from some of our members and that is you know should i include sports grad member on my resume and where should i mention it is that something that you would like to see yeah, it's um, it's not like I said. The experience is probably the most important part. But if you mm. are including it, there's two places I'd include them. One down the bottom of your resume, um, where it has interests and hobbies or that kind of thing, because that way we know that that's a mm. you, you know you're passionate about growing career development. And the other one would be on LinkedIn, because LinkedIn mm. when I'm when I'm searching on LinkedIn, for example, I can scroll for a while and I can see, okay, cool, they're part of a member association or they're part of a, a group such as um, sports grad. So those are the two places I'd, I'd put it on. And, and for me, knowing the, knowing the quality of applications that I'm receiving, um, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt to put it on for, for Golf Australia roles in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Dan, um, coming back to grads in general and, and how, you know, how they can put together a quality application, one trap we just mentioned there was, you know, the, the majority of people focus too much on the sport that they're applying to work in rather than the skills they have to perform in their job. Why do you think people focus on the sport and why is focusing on the sport way less important than the actual skills they need for the job? It's um, it, it's natural to get really excited about sport. Um, you know, I love like we all love sport and, and I guess that people listening to this, you know, we all love sport in some way. We're studying a sports management degree or whatever it might be. And 
you know, we talk about sport on the weekend. What's your favorite footy team? So we we love sport and we get obsessed with it. And as a result, when we when we communicate about it in a job application, we sometimes get lost in that. Um, but at the end of the day, we're hiring you to to perform a certain role. We're hiring you to perform a marketing coordinator role, or reception role, or or, or a HR role, and that expertise is what's important, not your your playing ability. Um, that's for our athletes. We won't let, let the athletes worry about that. We need you to do those certain roles, and so it's important to really link your experience in the in those skill sets that address the job, so to speak. Uh, I think that's that's super important. And you got to remember, grad jobs are, are very rare in the sports industry. A lot of sports companies are, are small. You only need to look at the Olympics, right? There's 32 different sports, all really small companies. I guarantee you most of them don't have a grad program, but, um, you know, you, you need to be able to demonstrate your all-round ability to address the job rather than perform the sport. You also mentioned another common mistake uh, that people make um, and that is that they, they don't match up their examples to the role that they're applying for. Um, this is going way back, but when I was at the end of university trying to get into the sports industry and I was applying for Cricket Australia, one of the um, processes I came up with to try and find out what is a priority to this job was literally going through the job application and counting how many times a skill was mentioned and how many times a characteristic was mentioned. So, if communication came up in, you know, a number of different ways and it was mentioned seven times and then teamwork came up in a number of different ways and it was mentioned five times, I'd be like, okay, communication is the number one thing that's important to this role. Uh, when's the time I've demonstrated strong communication? Okay, experience at Australian University Sport doing X, Y, and Z, match it up, put in the application. And that kind of just allowed me to almost scientifically dissect the job description and give me this really like quantifiable data set from a job description that could be used to tailor the resume and the cover letter. Um, in your eyes, are we like on the on the money with this technique and how does being meticulous in your selection of your examples help you, for example, who's got, you know, five seconds to read each application, as you say? Yeah, spot on. Uh, and I think you're, you're- actually on the money there um the reason is um you know organizations don't write job descriptions for for fun we, we write them because we need a job performed right so if a job says you need to communicate and then another line that says communication internally and another line that has it and if it says it four or five times you bet your money that communication is important so if you think back to i think what i said earlier when i look at the resume i'll look at okay what was their last job title and then what was the experience under that and so i'd want whatever that experience is to tie into what that position description is so if it is communication your first line should really be I'm a strong communicator through x y z example or whatever it might be um yeah i think it's uh, it's absolutely spot on because like i said we're, we're hiring you to perform that job the job description says it so show me the examples that demonstrate you can do it do you, do you notice when people borrow words from the job description yeah uh, i do but the way uh, what i look for I don't, and i don't mind that what i look for though is the example in which they they borrow that job that those words and turn it into a real life example or some experience mm. that they've had so if it says strong communicator you can say that in your resume but follow it by an example because a strong mm. communicator anyone can write that on a resume but no one can write how they've yeah. acquired that experience or what experience they have in strong communication, for example. 
Yeah, that's a great point. We, we harp on a lot to our members about showing rather than telling because you're right, anybody can come up with these sort of statements but few can back it up with with an example. And if anyone is interested in that technique of dissecting the job description, um, check out the membership. It, it's all in there. That probably follows into the next question around using data in your application. Um, I can think of a number of reasons why you would use data at, at exactly what we just said to provide, you know, reasoning for, you know, an example that you've used or to show success. How does showing quantifiable results in an application really stand out to you? Yeah, so like I said, there's about five seconds, you know, <laughs> in which you got to impress people reading through a resume. Um, and, and data numbers stand out. Like at the moment you see dollar figures or percentages, percentage increases, um, they, they stand out more so than words. So uh, a good example is if um, if I'm recruiting for a marketing coordinator role, I'd look at, okay, well, what was their previous experience? And if they've written um, increased social media interaction by 200% through these XYA, then bang, you know, that's that's a measurable data thing that I can go, cool, they've got experience in this and they've got results to prove that they've um, that they've increased their social media following or whatever it might be. Um, there, there's countless other times, you know, in a finance role, I improve revenue for the organization or sales role um, or, or in people culture HR role, um, I've improved the engagement of the organization by 2% through these avenues. There are so many different quantifiable things you can do. Um, that you can show. So, yeah, it's probably really important that you, you think about that and think about how what experience you have that can demonstrate that, that quantifiable data because, yeah, it stands out um, on a resume for sure. Is there anyone that comes to mind who you've recently hired where they included quantifiable results that you'll, you thought, wow, that, that's awesome. I wish they could do that for us. Yeah, uh, we recently hired a, in our partnerships area and obviously, partnerships is around corporate sponsorships and, um, I guess, dollars and uh, hospita- hospitality and sales. And they were able to clearly articulate increased hospitality sales or corporate ticket sales through this by these mediums. So, um, that absolutely stands out. Um, marketing coordinator roles, they're, they're quite similar as well with um, social media gains, um, which I used in that example before. So, yeah, those are probably the two recent examples that I can think of. Mm. For, for people who might not be applying for roles in the areas of, of marketing or commercial where you've got some of those dollar figures to, to reference or social media, there's heaps of analytics as well. Perhaps in like a, a game and market development or participation type role, what are some of the metrics that people should be looking out to prove? Um, participation probably you almost can measure it in some ways in terms of um, number of schools you get activated or clinics that you've run. So there is some form of quantifiable data you could use, but I'd talk about, I'd really harp in on how that links to the, the, the job description. So, you know, what are the key requirements of the job and what are the key statements that you can write that demonstrate your, your, you can do that. You can perform that task um, when there's no, you know, data that you can use to support that. And so then once you've got past uh, the resume, once you've got past the data and the results of what someone can do and the skills that they've got to use as well, how do you then determine if someone is a good cultural fit or not? Yeah, so before I get into cultural fit, what I kind of look for just after the resume stage um, is the LinkedIn page because there's two things. I I want people ask that a lot like, 
is a hiring manager actually going to look yeah. me up on link, LinkedIn? Uh, one that has time. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, like if we want to make a good assessment, um, we want to make sure that we've got the right candidate. And also, so there might be a mismatch between resumes and LinkedIn or whatnot. But I, I think it's important because if you take the time to produce a resume that looks really good, and then we go onto your LinkedIn page that looks poor, that looks like you just did it in 2013, you know, when it first came out or anything like that. Then it kind of shows, like, I want w- digital savvy is something that's part of all roles these days, and not just sports industry, but any role. So, if you can demonstrate that, you know, you care you care about your brand through a quality resume that's presentable through a quality social media platform that that we look at um, that that's accessible to all on LinkedIn. Then, then I know that you will take care in your work. If you can take care of yourself and you present that way, then yeah, I can have that trust. So that's probably the next step. I'll, I'll really look at that care that you've put into your, your LinkedIn page. Um, and that kind of gives us a good fit uh, in terms of not so much cultural, but you know, your ability to, to pr- present professionally because you're representing the sport. Mm. But I guess in terms of specifically cultural fit, there's probably two things that I look at. One is the ease in which I can have a conversation with you. Um, and that's... In itself, it's sometimes hard because you're trying to impress and you're trying to balance this professional and personal kind of persona. But at the end of the day, I just want to be able to have a conversation with you and know when. And I guess the reason why is because then that demonstrates that I can trust you. If something goes wrong, you can reach out to me in the workplace, or or if you make a mistake, you know we can work through it together. So that on, it, that honesty and integrity comes out when you can have a really good personal conversation. And and I guess the second thing with cultural fit is um. And, and this is almost two-part, is that you can see that though you've got a good demonstration when I converse with you, either through email or through through phone, that you know how to use your skill set to apply into the role that we're hiring for. Um, but also, you've got a skill set that demonstrates learning and that you, you want to learn and grow um, because sports organizations are small. So, you know, whilst we hire, might hire you into a marketing role, the chances are that you'll be helping out in other areas. And, and you only have to look um, at the Olympics. I guarantee you all those sports that are out there, they've got all-rounders doing high-performance stuff right through to marketing. Um, yeah, they're specializing in a one role, but you know, if they if they need to mail out stuff or fix boats or whatever it is, they they're going to roll up their sleeves and help out. And that attitude, if that can come across, um, is really important. And that's how we'd look at a good cultural fit. Is there anything that people can do when they're not in a face to face interaction with you that can show their cultural fit, whether that be through like the emails that they send that you mentioned, or through their cover letter or, or resume? Are there other different things that they can include in their documents that show more of their personality or cultural fit? Yeah, um, this is this is a true story and legit. I, I have just hired someone who I found on LinkedIn, and in their LinkedIn profile, they said they were a student um, sports management graduate looking for an opportunity in the sports industry. Um, I ha- I had a role available, and I thought. Cool. We'll have a look. Um, saw that they were sports grad member too. Um, from memory, I think they were. Uh, awesome. And um, what was their name? Uh, can't remember. Uh, I, I need her to accept the offer first, um, and then. Okay. <laughs> cool. But hot off yeah. the press, we can't. We can't <laughs> release it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I noticed was that first line straight away, bang. So I knew. Cool. Um, also looked at their LinkedIn page and saw it was it was kept up. Like they had a cover photo, they had a profile picture there job at recent application uh, recent experience was up to date so i could trust bang you know, they're, they're digital savvy they, they care about their personal brand 
And so, yeah, I met, reached out, organized an interview um, very quickly. This all happened in the space of two days. So, you know, if someone does reach out to you on LinkedIn, um, don't wait, don't prepare, just, you know, go in hands first. Because at the end of the day, when someone gives you a task at work, you're not going to say, hold on, give me two days for me to do that. You're probably <laughs> going to require to jump in if there's a tight deadline. So, um, so that's that's something that kind of stood out to me. And I guess what we look for, you know, is, is that kind of thing, but without me reaching out to you. But if um, the other opportunities, um, volunteering at events, um, you know, that's a great way for our events managers to, to see you in action. And, you know, if there's a coordinator or an events coordinator role and you volunteered at an event, no doubt you'll get tapped on the shoulder to apply because that's a lot easier to, to reach out to you and go, hey, there's this role available than having, having us scroll through 300 resumes looking for, looking for that diamond. One of, one of the things I used to do was um, I'd chuck in an interest section and would say, you know, I love sport and travel and have led groups of friends to the Tour de France or the FIFA World Cup and other different places and, you know, enjoy running and fitness on the side or uh, enjoy doing amateur video of editing. And this is back when Sportsgrad was a, a YouTube channel. <laughs> do those sort of like little hobbies count for anything? Um, they do. So it, we, we always want to know people in the sport industry, do they have an actual interest in the sport? And I know before I said, don't don't overdo that, um, just be <laughs> conscious of that. But that but that's a perfect way to get that balance right, to show that you're interested in sports. And, and you've got to remember as well, um, we're not uh, in the sports industry, you don't necessarily have to be a passionate golfer, for example. I don't play golf. I've never played golf before I joined Golf Australia. But I'm, I'm a personal trainer so you know, and a group fitness instructor. So, um, so I always have a passion for health and fitness. And so this is what allowed me to continue that. You know, golf is a way for people to get outside. And during lockdown, it's probably one of the only sports you can do really safely. So, you know, getting out, being social, um, com- the community aspect of it and that health and well-being fitness fits in really well with me. So, so yeah, absolutely. Popping that on your resume allows you to balance that. You know, I've got a passion for this, for the sports industry you know, without overdoing it. I'm sure you hit off a reasonably good uh, handicap now, Dan. Um, oh. Is there a number that you've got or I am actually I wishful thinking? Yeah, wishful thinking. I haven't got a handicap <laughs> as yet. Um, yeah, with a with a daughter that's just turned two, I don't have much time and between footy umpiring on the weekends, um, it's not a lot of time left for golf. So, um, yeah. I will get there at some point. No, totally fair. Um I just want to shift over quickly to the next stage of what an application would look like. You've obviously got someone's CV and then, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, might give them a screening call or then possibly an interview. Are there, you know, maybe one or two key things that you look for perhaps in the first interview that someone has that will basically allow them to progress further along? Yeah. Um, so interviews and, and there's probably heaps of psych, uh, psych theories that say people usually make up their mind in the first 30 seconds to, to minute. Um, so I guess the first thing I'm looking for in an interview isn't so much what you say, it's how you present. So are you greeting me with a smile? Um, and sometimes that's hard to do. You've had a rough day or whatever, but you just got to switch on in that moment. Uh, how you presented because I can see you straight away and that's going to speak more to me straight away rather than your words. So, so those are probably the two things that I look for straight away. Um, but then, you know, in the first five minutes, I'm looking at the ease in which you're conversing. There's nothing worse than, you know, particularly in this day and age where we do Zoom interviews now, um, 
when I can see someone with a notes page behind the monitor just looking looking there and coming back. You know, <laughs> uh, you know when, when you're asked to do a, a task in the workplace, you know, you're not looking at a textbook. You're, you're doing it. You have to do it. So when you're engaging with someone, um, it's really important that you do have that natural interaction. And, and even if you stuff it up, like, um, you know, face-to-face, like, that happens. But being a robot and looking at a script behind mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't assist and doesn't help with that natural flow. And you might remember I, I did mention that, you know, that personal connection allows to build that trust and, you know, trust and integrity is really important, you know, so I can trust that when you do your role, you're going to do it really well. And if you need help, you, you'll come to come to whoever for, for the relevant assistance. So, yeah, that, that's probably what we look for really, really yeah. really upfront straight out so like presentability and then like confidence it, it seems like is a is a really key part um i got another question with complete without notice i've just kind of thought <laughs> about it and i know there's a lot of entry-level roles out there that i remember when i was in this position i'd look at the role and i'd be like oh shit you know like it's got you know you need two years experience or you need one year experience but you know i've just finished uni and i feel like the role could be for me even though I might be underqualified. Are there some instances in the past where you've, you know, you've given someone a role even though they're underqualified? And what would you say to like some students out there who are looking at roles or don't even have to be students, anybody who thinks they might be underqualified, what they can do to stand out to get that role potentially? Yeah, there's um two things. And there's sometimes there's sometimes this mismatch between, you know, you you've, you've perceive yourself as being underqualified but you know you can actually do the role yeah. um probably shouldn't say this but in my first job in you know when I worked in HR um I kind of sold myself a little bit more than I had the experience for but backed myself in that ability so not technically lying but you know you got to sell yourself really well and so um the way in which you sell yourself is, is the first thing is to really create a link between that job description so like you said before Ruben that dissecting method of the position description you know take out all those key words that are that are repeated and put that in into your experience first up because you know we create those job descriptions for you to perform a role so you know when you can create a really good link between that job description and whatever experience that it had that you have even if it is underqualified or you know not at that level yet if you can meet those words and demonstrate strong examples you'll have a shot um and that, that's probably my big advice with 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 that kind of thing is yeah you may be underqualified but, mm. but you know try it the other thing is go for go for overqualified roles if you feel like you're <laughs> overqualified go for um roles where where you might and, and obviously tailor your resume or your application to to meet that level because sports roles are rare everyone wants them um not everyone gets them right so um you know the best bit, well, there's not a lot of grad programs in, in the sports industry, right? Um, but one of the best unofficial grad programs is the reception role. So if you can find a reception role or a mail room role or whatever officer role in, a, in an organization, that, that is a grad program in itself. You get face-to-face interaction with every single member in that sports yeah. organization. And there are countless people that I know that have graduated from a reception role into marketing roles, into products roles, into game development roles. So you kind of like, yeah, it's a reception role, but uh, and you probably didn't study your degree to move into that administrative role, but it is such a good such a good grounding to, to get to know everything in the business, create your own unofficial graduate program where you can help out different business units. 
um, and then you know show you show yourself, show your worth, show how hard you work to then move into other areas, or if not, move into other sports or, or, or other teams. I, I think it's that that's probably really really important. Yeah, no, I, I reckon that's a great call. The reception call is a great one. Like you literally mm. speak to every single person in the business, which is uh, mm. which is a good thing. Um, I want to ask you on the flip side as well. What if, like, often people are in a role and, and they need to go either sideways, down, whatever they need to do to then go up again? What's some tips for someone who, you know, might be overqualified for a role but, you know, want a bit of a change to, to progress their career? How can they come across as someone who can do that role despite being a little bit overqualified for it? Yeah. I think you've got to really communicate your intention as to why you're joining the organization really well. For me, it, you know, and I guess also in the sports organisations where we're not for profits, most of us in government-run agencies, so we're not receiving salaries as you know as your big four consulting or you know FMCG companies out there. Um, people love sport, so you know you're, you're there delivering the game and reinvesting more money, so more people participate in the sport. So um, I think the first thing is just be conscious of. Um, your salary expectations, because that, that's probably the first thing employers will look at. We'll be like, okay, well, this person's accumulated this much experience, wants to jump into sports. Are they doing it for the right reasons or do they think they can maintain their, their same salary levels or whatever it might be? Um, so articulating your passion as to why you want to take that role is, is really important. Um, but I think the next thing is trying to link that into the sport. So, you know, how, what's the experience that you're going to bring and what's the value that you're going to add to that role? And I guess doing that in a humble way, um, not to say that you could, you know, you're just going to go in there and, and blow the doors off because you've got all this experience, but you're going to do that and you're going to do it in a way that coaches and mentors other people and learn, and you're going to roll up the sleeves to to help out posting Olympic packs when you need to or, you know, fixing whatever it might need to be when it, when it occurs. So that, that's probably the way in which I'd frame it. If you do feel like you're overqualified for a position, you kind of got to bring yourself back down and ensure that you're communicating why and that those intentions really well. That's that's an excellent point because I think there's a lot of I don't I don't know if shame is the right word, but um, people might feel like they aren't entirely comfortable to say you know this is why I'm taking a step back or actually you know this role is a stepping stone to get somewhere else or um, whatever their reason might be. But I think being honest and humble about your intentions and open about them as well clearly delivers the, the best results of you as you've said and then it kind of comes back to what you previously mentioned around using statements that have got backed up examples because anybody can make a claim but few can actually speak to an example that's delivered a result that allows you to make an assessment on what they can do in that role um Dan, finally, we just wanted to wrap up with um, a couple of uh, memorable CVs that have come across you in your time because if you're dealing with 300-plus resumes per job, we'd imagine there'd be a few ones that stand out over, over the years. So we're wondering if you can share maybe one that's one that stands out for the wrong reasons and then one that was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I'll sure share the wrong reasons first because um, it obviously stands out in my mind. <laughs> but uh, I received this wonderfully long application, um, you know, it was great, you know, had good experience, but mentioned Tennis Australia about six or seven times in there, you know. So, um, make sure that you do when you are tailoring your resume that you do backspace the organization. <laughs> but 
but if you do have the time, really tailor it as well. Uh, it's pretty easy to just have a generic cover letter and backspace the organization name, but that's not tailoring it to an organization. So, um, but do do make sure you backspace. That's um, that's always fun. And then also make sure you get the name right. I love I love reading Dear Simon um, all the time, but it's uh, it's, uh, it sometimes gets a, like okay, well your attention to detail is probably not there um, yet. So those are those are probably the ones that stand out from a. Um, memorable experience in terms of a really positive one. Um, that LinkedIn one that I mentioned before, the, where the person communicated on LinkedIn that they were a student looking or stu- student graduate looking for um, an opportunity stood out, which really demonstrated that proactiveness. But um, the really good resumes are the ones that have um, clear that are clear and concise. They they use almost like the star method that you'd normally have in um, in an interview to describe their experience. And if I can clearly see how your experience stacks up to the job description, then it's likely that I'll go, cool, you, you can perform the role, bang, you go into the pile that we'll review and hopefully put forward for an interview. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to um, chat with our members on our next webinar and find out who this uh, mystery person is. <laughs> yeah, they, they will reveal themselves, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is hot off the press though, so we don't want to press too hard. <laughs> well, Dan, we, we might leave it there for tonight. It's been absolutely awesome chatting to you about all things resumes um, with just a little, little bit of interview chat in there as well. But you've well and truly, you know, you know exactly what you're looking for in terms of resumes and, and getting that knowledge off you um, is going to be so beneficial for, for our listeners. So really appreciate your time and um, good luck for, for what's next for you. Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig, um, you know, submitting an application, but I hope I've been able to provide that employee perspective. For most people out there, you'll submit your resume and have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. I'm hopeful that I've provided some insight there. So, thanks for having me, guys. You sure I don't want to chat to 11.59? I get released. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm worried about the listeners. <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't I wouldn't mind listening for sure. six hours. That'd be an easy podcast <laughs> listen. Doesn't Joe Rogan go for four? Yeah, I think so. We're, we're yeah. close to that level. So, um, <laughs> nah, nice just want to leave it there. But uh, yeah. thanks again, Dan, and uh, we'll chat soon. No worries. Thanks, boys. All right. Well, Rubes, what an awesome chat with Daniel Simons there. Um, so many takeaways. Like, I think that's one of the more actionable episodes we've done. Mm. Um, and with someone who is in HR, it's probably no better episode to just take those actions and run with them because as we said in that episode, he's giving the jobs out. So, we should probably listen to him. Um, So, I'm keen to hear some takeaways from you that the listeners can take and run with. That's right. He's got the power, as he said. Um, But one of the things I loved that he mentioned was about opening yourself up to roles you are underqualified for. And the way to do this, he talked about, was to learn how to sell yourself. And so, he mentioned his own example where he sold his potential to be, you know, excellent in the role that he got early in his career. And I think the the key part of being able to sell yourself when you're at the start of your career is to leverage your potential. And it's no different to sport around the world. It doesn't matter if you're in the AFL, the NBA, the NFL, People who are like coming into the competition for the first time, they're signaling their potential to be the number one draft pick, except their things that they're trying to prove are how fast they can jump, how high they can run. Whereas in the sports industry, 
you've got to signal other different things that show your potential. So, for sport, some of the things that we've come up with that um, we talk about implementing into your applications are things like your leadership ability, uh, your initiative, your creative thinking, your emotional intelligence, and your previous results, you know, some of those quantifiable bits of data, which Daniel talked about. So if you can learn to sell yourself by signaling those five indicators, then you're going to start to open up an extra realm of opportunities that you might not necessarily perceive yourself as being qualified for. So if you want to learn how to do this and leverage those five points, um, we've created a course called Sports Industry Applications, which shows you exactly how to do that. Fantastic, Rubes. Um, mine was just around, you know, really making yourself noteworthy so that, you know, people like Daniel out there, HR professionals, you know, they know to look out for your application. So, you know, doing all the right things like networking um, and using LinkedIn. Like we heard him just say he literally found someone through LinkedIn so, like, proof is in the pudding. Like, at the very basic, just have your LinkedIn up to date, have the appropriate information on there so that, you know, if you come up and who knows, there's someone looking for a role and you match what they're looking for, they can see that you're switched on um, and that you're, you know, you're ready and, and raring to go. So, um, that was an interesting one for me. Yeah, he really he really busted a few myths for us, you know. Mm. Do hiring managers actually look at your LinkedIn? Yes, turns yeah. out they do. So, does it make a difference if you know them in advance? Yes, it does because there's 300 people to go through at yeah. least. You know, the other um, myth he busted was the, yeah. the notes page on a virtual job interview. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't- I think the key, the key there is to... Not have it so yeah, Yeah. straight ahead. (laughs) Perhaps like have it like you know on the the keyboard so you know (laughs) like don't look down the whole time. But there's a few buzzwords there for you to remember. Anyway, that's tricks for young players. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, um, the last one that I'll mention is to one of the last key takeaways. If you want to avoid being overlooked because you didn't mention a key part of the job description. And Daniel talked a lot about how one of the major pitfalls is people not matching their experience to the job description is to really go into detail and dissect the job description. So I explained a bit about the process that I've used in terms of finding out what are the priorities, the skill priorities, the character priorities. And then if you add to that as well, the organizational values is another uh, data set that you can use to tailor your resume. But if you want to learn more about that, Have a go yourself, but if you want to know the full process, um, that's inside the course as well, and we also touch on it inside the membership too. Awesome. Well, you've plugged well tonight, by the way, (laughs) Um, but there are some key takeaways. Thank you for listening. Um, As I said, find us on LinkedIn if you want to chat or want any advice or have any ideas for us. We'd love to hear from you, Uh, so we'll, we'll chat to you. Anyway, we'll see you next time. 